Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. I'm Alexander. I am Haini. We are Needy in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 211, recorded on September 21st, 2022. You will be able to find this in our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Today's episode is brought to you from under a blanket, at least in <laughs> Heine's case. Welcome back to Finland. <laughs> Thank you. And you're not under a blanket because it's cold, right? No, I'm under the blanket because we do not have curtains yet. And it <laughs> apparently sounded like I was talking from a bathroom. So now I'm under a blanket so that the sound is better. You do all kinds of things for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you sure do. And I mean, I, I'm so, I'm dying to be able to put up a picture from Riverside. From the, <laughs> this, 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 is, this is priceless. Absolutely priceless. This is why we should do video. <laughs> I yeah, guess. This is commitment. <laughs> yeah. So many different words we can use here. Yes. Yeah, and uh, myself and Haini have been in the US for the last week or so. Uh, so we'll talk about that. But we also have a bunch of new cool things to talk about. So, Alexander, what's happened in the world of data? Well, uh, this ties into where Haney was. So previously, or previous years, I should say, the, the past summit has been where Microsoft releases a lot of the data-related stuff. We weren't sure what was going to happen this year because Redgate essentially took over the whole PASS Summit thingy. Uh, but from what I've heard, they made a splendid job. So super happy to, to hear that everything worked out fine. And one of the things that was released was SQL Server 2022. And this is a pretty big thing. It is crammed full with new features, especially some clever features when it comes to um, optimizing queries. So a lot of the anti-patterns that I've talked about for years essentially just went out the window. So these are these things are not foolproof, of course not, but they are so much better than they used to be, I should say. There's a bunch of performance things. There's a bunch of how the query store behaves. Um, it is very much connected to Azure, with a lot of, of um, functionality for moving data between not only to Azure, but also from Azure. So I, I highly recommend anyone who's in the business of the SQL Server, check it out. If you're considering running 2019, stop considering that, run 2022 <laughs> instead. It's generally available. And in my view, it's gonna work just fine. I, I would not hesitate a second to put this into production. And then came another thing. This one is, is small in most people's views, but it opens up both a can of worms and so many possibilities. So I've been toying with something called Debezium. And Debezium is a piece of software that runs on a um, container that connects to change tracking in SQL Server in order to grab whenever data has been changed in a table. It grabs the changes and it dumps it into essentially wherever you want to bring it. So into event, um, the event hub, into an Azure function, it's your choice. You, you can pretty much do whatever you want with it. I was happy as a clam with this. In fact, I've already created a session around it. 
And then came the public preview of the Azure SQL trigger for Azure Functions, which essentially just undid everything I've done, which is a good thing because this thing means that you can now invoke an Azure function from a SQL table change. It, it essentially does what Debezium does, connects to change tracking. And it, this, this opens up so many opportunities. You can do this from on-prem, which gives you even more opportunities. Super, super cool. And again, I, I cannot do Azure Functions for crap, <laughs> but it is definitely high time for me to learn. I kind of got an incentive here, I'll say that. And then came a bit of a bombshell. I did not see this coming. So in Power BI, we have Power BI free, we have Power BI Pro and premium, and also the premium per user licensing. And most of the fun things happen in, in premium or premium per user. One of these things is the paginated reports or the pixel perfect reports, which is essentially the old SQL Server reporting server, but put into, um, into Power BI. This was a premium and PPU only feature. And out of the blue, here comes the opportunity and the possibility of running the paginated reports in Power BI Pro. Like, what? Suddenly the Power BI Pro users have access to the paginated reports, which is a huge thing. Again, I didn't see this coming at all. I thought all of the fun stuff was gonna stay in, in premium and PPU, but yeah, I was wrong. So yeah, that's pretty much what's happened in my neck of the woods. Why, why do you think they made a decision of actually upping the value of the pro SKU? Honestly, I don't have any idea. Because isn't that quite a, a good value for money SKU still? It pro? is. It is for sure. I mean, um, the, the PPU is what you bring out when you need the premium specific mm -hmm. stuff, like the, the enhanced compute engine and all those funny things. But suddenly... I think you just moved a lot of the people running PPU mm -hmm. going to Pro because paginated report was probably one of the, the main drivers for PPU, uh, especially for my customers. The, the premium and the PPU environment run on a vastly different environment than the Pro stuff does. So I thought personally that Pro was being edged out, but oh. this just shows what I know. <laughs> And that's why you listen to Knee Deep in Tech, people that know less <laughs> than they think they do. My life in a nutshell. <laughs> Could we, uh, for an upcoming episode, also talk about the um, new way of purchasing SQL Server? Because they announced something along those lines as well, right? We can indeed. I'm I'm thinking of, of doing a, or let me rephrase that. I'm going to do a, a focus segment on the licensing stuff because nice. they completely redrew the the world. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, in speaking about cool news in Intune. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> last week we had a new service release uh, and uh, I wanted to highlight three things in that. We are now able to do background or execute background tasks on macOS devices. So login and background items, basically saying that we can trigger something to happen on a macOS device uh, on logon. So we can, as an example, open a document, open an app, uh, open a folder on macOS when we sign into it. 
a little bit like a log-on script, which you shouldn't be using at all. But I think it's nice that we get some new things to macOS, and I think it can create a somewhat better user experience if you can execute things and decide what to execute. Open up Teams, open up a Citrix client or something like that. The other thing is that we have a bunch of newly protected apps. Something I'm especially intrigued by, which I would love to know more about, is that ArcGIS, a map uh, tool that I know that a lot of, especially public sector customers in Sweden are using, is now a protected app, the indoor version of that. Which is kind of interesting that you would then be able to publish a map within this app and ensure that nothing can leave that app. So you can't take screenshots of that map as an example. And I do think it's now that we're starting to see the ecosystem really adding apps that are protected to Microsoft Intune and app protection policies. And I have discussions with a lot of my customers in terms of wrapping their existing line of business apps, ensuring that you can protect your organizational data within an app, even on an unmanaged phone. I'd be very interested to see. So you said the ArcGIS, the indoor version. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that relates to the ArcGIS mapping that's available in Power BI. Um, if it's the same thing, I have no idea, but it would be kind of cool if this were to work on, on Power BI as well. It, it has, it doesn't, it does work on Power BI. It's done that for ages. Yeah, no, 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 the, these specifically the, the ArcGIS stuff. But it's, it's nothing new. If you can get the mapping stuff in Power BI on mobile today, that data is already protected. So you can publish a report with the ArcGIS um, data in it, in Power BI, and that part is already protected. And that's a thing I learned this week, that there is a lot of organizations that actually use Power BI for all kinds of things that I never thought you could use Power BI for. So like they are, I've, I've met customers that use it to draw things and do mapping and do like design in Power BI. Alexander's face. Uh. Yeah, and it's, I'm intrigued. I, I really want to see what they're doing with this. But I, I've found some quite interesting use cases of Power BI. And I mean, like, I just did the drawings of my new um, patio in Adobe Reader. What is wrong with you people? Now, that was a horrific experience, I can tell you. So moving on to something other that we can abuse in the wrong way. PowerPoint? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But also organizational messages for Windows 11. So you are now able to push branded messages from Intune to Windows 11 devices. And you can write whatever you like. Dark mode, light <laughs> mode, 15 different languages, custom URLs, organizational logo, everything you could possibly need with no way of hiding. Simon, are you... Old enough to remember the old uh, WinSend commands? Yes. <laughs> so this is WinSend. <laughs> we're getting it back. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. At scale. Enterprise WinSend. Yeah. Message frequency. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is too good to be true. If you can just add that together with Azure Functions, you have a win. <laughs> Or care for what you wish for. Just push a, me push a message whenever you have an update to a table and see what happens. 
You're getting oh, good no. attention, I'll say that. Oh, yeah. no. I, I do think it's a very useful tool, as long as you don't let your IT admins use it. <laughs> so, for obvious reasons, they have created a RBAC role for it. Smart. Yeah. Last week I spoke, or last time I spoke about um, Windows updates, and we now have a new reporting experience, which have been everyone has been longing for because the previous one were absolutely horrific. Obviously, they weren't using Power BI. Uh, now we have a bunch of new reports that we can use to ensure that we are compliant. Uh, we will we'll probably get back to that at the la- in a later episode. Something that also blew up on Twitter, apart from the organizational messages, were the and Twitter itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boom. Yeah, I, I I will stay on Twitter. I'm not going anywhere. I, I don't want to learn. Microsoft just did a bunch of changes to how the default settings in Azure AD looks and behaves. One of those settings blew up on Twitter uh, and were the tenant creation settings. The default has always been that any Azure AD user can create any number of tenants they want, at new tenants. And now Microsoft actually gave you a switch so you can turn that on or off. But people obviously saw it that how can they possibly put this in the default position? That's been yes. But where Microsoft's viewer, hey, we just gave you the option to turn the default setting off. Say thank mm-hmm. you, please. Uh, and I think that's that's true for a lot of things. And I think that was the case with um, Windows 10 as well. Everyone were furious that they are now collecting all this telemetry data. Yeah, they did before. They're just more transparent now and you can actually turn it off, which you couldn't before. So that was quite interesting. And last bit is that we now have a new sign language view in Microsoft Teams. This is something I really would like to hear feedback on, especially if you are a person that would find this useful. So you can now create a layout within Microsoft Teams that will put your sign interpreters front and center in the meetings and make that clearly visible to people that need that kind of assistance. So I think that's fantastic. And, And just another thing that I think puts Microsoft Teams ahead of the competition because they have time and resources to invest in making their platform the most inclusive of them all, in my relatively biased opinion. End of story. End of coolness. So it's time for the blanket then. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see it collapse on me? We, we saw that. We saw that. And now I'm, I'm Googling Moomin names in Finnish again. So, <laughs> All right. So uh, on to uh, uh, kind of a variety of things that have been happening lately that have interested me personally. So the Azure Synapse link for SQL went GA. And actually this kind of was also relevant because at the past summit, I got a chance to talk with some of the people, the product group which was really interesting. And the Synapse link for SQL allows you to uh, kind of without building any integration to get your data from a SQL server to Azure Synapse Analytics. And note, if you need to target the dedicated SQL pools without, within Synapse. So it doesn't go, for example, to the data lake or so forth. And I think that is one of the tricky things about Synapse link because there's like three offerings at this time. There's the SQL 
then there's the Synapse link for Cosmos DB and the Synapse link for Dataverse. And they all function differently. So not all of them bring the data to the dedicated SQL pool. For example, the Cosmos DB doesn't actually move itself the data to Synapse. It just creates an analytical store in the Cosmos DB service, and then you connect to that. So you're able to query it from, example, serverless SQL. So it's kind of like three different kinds of products actually under this one terminology. And I do hope there's like a bit more unification going forward on it, but it's interesting to see which way it goes. And the length of the known limitations for Azure Synapse Link for SQL is yes. long, long and distinguished. Yes. <laughs> it is. But let's remember it's kind of a new thing. So I think that list will be evolving quite rapidly. <laughs> I don't understand a thing, but I sympathize. All right. Yes. Then to more pleasant news, I oh. guess. <laughs> uh, so there has been a lot of cool new little updates in some of the services in Azure that I really like. So, for example, in Azure Front Door, there's a bu bunch of new things that came into public preview, and these target the newer tiers of Azure Front Door. We talked about this a while back, but that was quite many episodes ago. But there was a new tier of Azure Front Door that came out. So within that new tier, you are able to have managed identities now. So, for example, if you need to authenticate against Key Vault or something like that, then if you are still in the old tier, uh, that is now actually kind of tagged with classic, that's what it says behind the name. So if you are in that tier, then you are able to do a zero downtime migration to the newer tiers. And then in the newer tiers, you have both standard and premium. So there's also now an upgrade path from standard to premium if you need to do that. So just adding a, f a lot of functionality that makes it easier to use, use this thing. Is there any pricing difference between the classic and the new one? Yes, there is. Um, can't remember the details, but uh, the whole approach is a little different to the pricing. So uh, you can go and check the pricing page. I think we can link that into the show notes for people who are interested. Uh, in general, the newer tiers are more expensive, but you do get a lot more functionality out of them and you have much more control over, over there as well. Can you choose to stay on Classic? Yeah, at least for now, there hasn't been any information about it being tired or anything like that. But for example, setting up um, the Classic front door and a CDN and a storage account to host mm -hmm. a single page application, uh, you yep. need to do some very creative things to get that working. Okay. So <laughs> the newer tier uh, has much more capabilities on the rules side, for example. And actually, like you weren't supposed to use the old front door and the CDN together because they use the same points of presence. So it can get a little confused about what's happening. On to the next thing, static web apps. Uh, on that side, there is also updates. Uh, Previously, you were only able to deploy from Azure DevOps and GitHub. And now there is also GitLab and Bitbucket available, which I think is a huge step forward because mm -hmm. not everybody uses Azure DevOps or GitHub. So I do hope there also comes some 
um, there are already some, you know, CLI tools that you can use to deploy as well. So it makes it a lot more flexible in terms of where, where you can do the deployments from. Uh, there's a few other items I'll just mention. So within the static web apps, there's also preview environments. So for those, you are able to deploy them through Azure DevOps, as well as then you are able to configure stable URLs. Previously, you could only get like a temporary URL for that preview environment. So this is pretty much when you make a new commit and a pull request, then you're able to create this preview environment that is just temporary where you can still verify that everything works. Can you control access to that? So uh, access in terms of what? When you publish this preview, is that available mm -hmm. on the internet with that URL or is it only available through the Azure portal? How can you That's prevent other, other people from accessing your preview site? A very good question. I would kind of imagine it goes in line with whatever you have configured for your static web app in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not actually sure. Very interesting question that I should look into. Last item on the list. Uh, Azure Container Apps, uh, a very small thing in a way. So for Azure Container Apps, you needed a Docker file previously to deploy your service in there. But right now, there has come in options that you can deploy your code directly to Azure Container Apps, which is like more towards the way that, for example, App Service works. And that could potentially really like uh, decrease the barrier of going into container apps because you don't necessarily need to learn how to write Docker files and so forth. So that is a really interesting new aspect just came out three days ago or something like that. That's it. Nice. A lot of news. A lot of fun news. Yes. And, and I think it's... I would love to go back to the point where me and Alexander started this and, and just try to realize how much I've learned by doing these podcasts. Like, I, I, I passed a data platform fundamentals exam <laughs> just by doing nice. this. It's, it's, it's a year ago, but like... Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic how much I learn and uh, how useful it actually is. I, I use things I learn here often at work, even though I do not work with any of what you are talking about. And how I many just... times have you failed DP300? <clears throat> how many times have you? I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm very happy to fail in a very good way. With yeah, DP yeah. No, I, I mean, still yeah. failing in certification still means learning so, Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. I, I, and yes, I, we should definitely have done video because yeah. seeing Haney squirming underneath that blanket, <laughs> you trying know that, to... Yeah, this, this is hilarious. It's recorded. It's recorded, so... It's, yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> my my setup is not exactly stable. It is not GA yet, so... It's I functional. <laughs> it is private preview. <laughs> Yes. I have a, a coffee mug here. Invent with purpose. I think that's what you did. Oh, yes, definitely. So All right. let's let's see, Haney. You uh, you moved together with your your boyfriend to a house in Tampere, uh -huh. and just after having taken the last box in, you jumped on a plane to the US. Is is that about right? Pretty much. We managed to get all the stuff in, and then yeah, I left. Do you still talk or to each other? Summit. 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. He he left to Lapland to snowboard, so it was fine. Ah. <laughs> okay. Oh, no worries. You, you, did, you did not leave him in this mess and just took no. take off. No, no, no. That would okay. have been horrible. No, I would have loved to be able to do that. Just moving into a house and then I would be left there to decorate everything. My wife would never want to move in, but it would be so <laughs> functional. All right. We had a nice segue to certifications, but then we stumbled way off track here. <laughs> we got derailed again. Yeah. Yes, again, as usual. So we did actually want to talk today about certifications for or a little bit. And what I'm really interested about is because people have differing opinions about certifications. Are they useful at all? Like, is it, does it reflect your knowledge at all? And so forth. So let's just get an initial round of what do you think about certifications? What do they, you know, what's their role for you? I think me and Alexander are quite in agreement on this. Taking an exam and passing that shows that you're good at writing Microsoft exams. That's the primary takeaway. I think that the knowledge in the exams have improved greatly uh, over the last years or so, especially in the, the more advanced ones. But I wouldn't say that someone that has a lot of exams, like I do, is more knowledgeable than someone that doesn't have a single exam. Because in most cases, I've found that the reason why people do not have exams is that they are terrified of writing the actual exam, not mm. because they are unknowledgeable. So, uh, and I'm I'm really good at writing exams. I, I'm not even trying to hide it. I'm, I'm really, really good at writing exams. That's why I got a relatively high score on DP300, because I know how to write them. Um... I'm I'm torn. I mean, a couple of years back, or 15 years back, uh, then came a time when you needed to know unreasonably <laughs> details, like which tab, which checkbox to do something completely obscure. I really didn't like the certifications back then. I, I, I got my first certification in 1998. So it's, it's been a while. Uh, NT4. That's when I did my first test in school. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, it, it's become much better, just like you said, Simon. I think these days they are a good uh, good basis. I mean, if, if you can pass certification, you've shown that you have a reasonable understanding of the, the concepts. Does that mean that it, it translates to an ability to do what the certification test tests you on not necessarily but again use use your brain i mean someone who's passed a certification will probably be able to learn things on the job now and this might be a bit of an, an unpopular opinion someone with a metric ton of certifications that's going to raise a bit of a red flag for me. If they don't have a job that requires them to write certifications. And that brings me to my second point. We used to have a fairly simple, and I use fairly, very, very uh, widely, uh, fairly simple partner certification system for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. That's where these certifications really came into their own. If you had a number of certified people, you got a 
decent amount of kickback and, and nice things from Microsoft. These days, it's much, much harder to get those kickbacks because they've changed it completely. And I think that also means that fewer people will be uh, pursuing certifications. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of the points that have been said here. And actually why this topic came to mind is because I've been figuring out the new Microsoft partnership stuff. And mm-hmm. even though the certifications have a less of a role, they still do have quite a significant role. Yep. So if you fulfill the requirements, you are kind of like already halfway there or a little over halfway of like getting enough points, so to say. But that's also the thing. It's halfway there. It mm-hmm. was easy-ish previously to be a small specialist company that only did uh, specialized consulting and didn't mm-hmm. sell a lot of, of, of consumption. You could still be gold partner. Uh, Since everything is about consumption, well, it's going to be harder. difficult. And then you're back to why do I need to certify if I cannot get the last 50%? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, for me personally, like certifications are a way to almost like help me learn something. Like I took my first certification in 2016 when I had not been in the field for so long. And having that goal of like doing a certification really helped me study, mm-hmm. like kind of figure out what are even all the things that I should be looking at. Because if you're just starting with Azure, it's kind of hard to know even like what are all the areas that you should be studying. So it can act kind of like as a support and a map of which way to go and which things to dig into. I think that's a, a fantastic way of using them. Absolutely. And then it can also be kind of a helper, like nowadays, if I do a certification, I don't necessarily study that much, but still doing the certification, I get a sense of like, is there some area that I should be actually looking into in more detail that is relevant to me? Or am I just, okay, well, I just don't know that area that well. So it's kind of a way to self-assess for my, myself at least. And that, that's a really, really good point. And I, I love to bring up my first experience with AZ-900, the really, really introductory Azure one. I mean, come on, I've, I've worked with Azure since before it was called Azure. Why wouldn't I pass? Holy crap, I passed it with one point. <laughs> because I was complacent. And, yeah. and yes. certifications tell you where your blind spots are. It's the same with the data stuff that I've been poking around with for 25 years, I still find things in the certifications that I did not expect to be there because I, I've never worked with them. So in that case, I find certifications to be a great, um, you can broaden your horizons is, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever get to do any of the exams with the labs? I did. I did. How, um, what was your opinion of that? So I was, and, and Simon as well, were in, in the US when this was um, announced. We were at the MCT summit many, many, many years ago. And everybody said the same thing. This is absolutely fantastic. I'd done labs uh, through my Cisco certifications and they were perfect, really, really useful. I mean, you can do the theoretical part like nobody's business and then came the, the uh, labs and yeah, you're gone if you didn't know how to do it. So I love the idea, but I also saw the enormous challenge of creating these these labs. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I did a few of them. They didn't work very well. It all felt extremely railroaded, i.e. you could do it one way and one way only. And if you were used to do it some other way, well, sucks to be you. So I, I love the idea. I didn't like the, the implementation and I do not want to have their job. I'll say that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I did not realize that there was, because I got the sense that there was way to do the things in, like you could use the cloud shell or you could click around the portal or whatever, like the method at least of doing. But of course, the questions were like quite exact. This is the goal that you need to achieve. Do it whichever way you like to do it. So, but of course, you wouldn't have local tools, for example, if you're used to working with something locally. And I personally, I, I think I did two of the labs, lab including tests. And before that, I had always had like plenty of time, overtime left. And with the labs, I was like really tight on time every single time, like super, super tight on time. And then even having to say like, okay, I've done maturity. I just need to skip ahead so I can get to the end in time. It just takes more to read them and like, what are they actually asking? And so forth. Yeah. Uh, what would you say like a, a new person who's getting, getting started and trying to do their first Azure certification? Do you have any tips or tricks on how to, how to prepare? Run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Positive. You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> no. And, and I, I really don't think that's, that's the case either. Simon looked like you had a, something very interesting intelligent to say just try it i think that's that's the probably i would say before you even start to study write an exam i know yes. that for for some people that are paying for them on their own i understand if it's an extra cost you can usually get a rerun cheaper but I do think it's worth the investment just to go through the entire process, especially if you're writing it from home, so you know what to expect. Because otherwise, I find a lot of people that study and study and study, and they keep on studying because they're terrified of doing the exam. So before doing anything else, regardless if it's a fundamentals exam or anything else, write an exam once with no pressure whatsoever in making it, just with the purpose of understanding the process. People Do that don't realize first. that there, there are three parts to a Microsoft certification. One part is the logistics. Does it actually yeah. work to do this from home? Mm. And you, you want to test this every time. Ask me how I know. The second part <laughs> is how does it work to, to write a certification? If you've not done it, it's scary. We react the same way to new things. We find them scary. And then, and only then, you have the actual skills part. So I mm. totally agree yeah. with Simon. I've, I've had a number of students at, at consultancy companies that I've, I've come in and, and, and done basic training for people. And I, I say the same thing. Do some bare minimum studying. So there is at least a, a chance that you might actually pass it. And then just go for it. If you bomb it with 140 points, that's a great story for your next party. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. Nobody cares where you bought that sweater. No, that's that's a different song title. <laughs> Nobody cares if you pass with 700 points or 1,000 no. points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like those 
those tips from both of you. I do think it's like, I remember in my very first exam, I kind of just thought I was in such a hurry that I didn't read the first questions properly. And they were like the same question over and over again, but yeah. just with different options. And it got me so confused. I was like, what's happening here? Like, yeah. am I not understanding this? And then I read the first part of the question. Like, <laughs> oh, the same question is going to come multiple times. Oh, I should have read that. <laughs> so when you do go and take the exam, read the questions. What are yeah. they actually asking? Is it a not or a, like, can you do this type of question? And then be careful on the, you know, there's many different types of questions. So just like stay calm and read the questions and remember that you can like my approach is always to go wherever there's a section where you can go back i just go through the questions once and tag anything that i'm not sure so i might not even answer all of them because there's more questions coming so some later question might trigger you know that oh yeah i read about that somewhere else when you just get a little more words in so that's kind of my question for or tr trick for the time management within the exam to just go through it once and then return to the questions that you have marked. But it definitely does help to get familiar with how the entire exam works and how you mark the questions and how you navigate and things like that and reading like, okay, you can go back in this question or you can't go back in this question. You're also going to find a pattern in how the questions are written. Mm -hmm. And yes. in, in many cases, neither of us are English speakers from birth. Uh, I've, I think I'm pretty good at English. I know that you're amazing at English, both of you. We still get tripped up. I know Absolutely. for a fact that a lot of people who were born in the US or in the UK, they get tripped up by the language. So there are uh, a number of, in my view, bad um, ways of putting it that mm -hmm. makes some of the questions more difficult than they actually need to be. So keep an eye out from, from those as well. Yeah. I oftentimes think about the questions like, what does this actually mean? Like, what is the question? So that's completely normal <laughs> yep. to be a little confused. What is the actual question? And, and if you ever are in doubt, think of what, what does Microsoft want to sell? <laughs> because that's actually true. <laughs> if if you're writing a data mm. exam and Synapse Analytics is in there, yeah. that's going to be the right answer. It doesn't matter what the question is, it's going to be Synapse. And the funny yeah. thing is, a couple of years back, the answer was always going to be Cosmos DB. So yeah. there's there's definitely a point to what Simon is saying. <laughs> Probably going to be front yes. door as well. Yeah. Don't, oh, don't take that oh, advice oh. literally. Just a, a set 700. <laughs> Remember front door. <laughs> Front door, front door, and yes. maybe front door. Back door. <laughs> Hopefully not. Is that a product? <laughs> Azure back door? Oh. There should be an Azure back door. There should be. <laughs> oh, that would be fun, actually. And yeah. Comp like adding that to the Chaos Studio, you can actually add a back door to your project, and then it's your job to find it. I would pay oh. for that service. That would be amazing. It's like hack the box. Yeah. You heard Such it here great first, ideas people. today. Asher Backdoor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have any last words about certifications? I'd love to keep talking about the recertification. Mm. Um, let, let, let's do a couple of more minutes for re recertification. I'm, I'm fine with that. 
going over. So <laughs> what's your opinion on the recertifications as they stand now? I think they are nice and easy to do. And I do think that the interval is nice. Like once a year, it's nice to get a bit of a refresher. I think that's reasonable. Uh, the For me, what the recertifications have been like is that they are very targeted to one specific area. So it doesn't really res kind of ask you around the entire scope of topics that is actually in that exam, but it's very targeted to a specific theme. And I don't know if that kind of changes over the years or even during the year, depending on kind of what is new. So I don't know how those get exactly formulated, but I, I was kind of hesitant about like, do I like this? But then in a way, like it makes sense to test on the things that are actually like relevant right now, I guess. But I'm not 100% decided yet what I think about it. <laughs> Just to add to that, I had questions on my latest enterprise administrator expert, where the answer were Windows 8.1. Oh, that's not entirely relevant, I think, depending no. on what the question was. So, so I would say the <laughs> Azure renewals have been a lot better than the modern work ones. Oh, oh. Which the I think irony... Modern yeah. work in Windows exactly. 8.1 in the same <laughs> sentence. Oh yeah, almost works. Yeah. I I love Windows 8, but come on, it it's it's all it's it's one of the few things that seem to be older than Alexander, but it isn't. <laughs> On a serious note, I I I do think it differs. I do think the Azure ones are relatively good. Um, I do not like the modern work ones. I I think they are not enough it's it's not irrelevant questions so i think that that takes some of it away uh, i would like to see a little more strict way of renewing uh, still free i think but but at least something somewhere in between where they are now and writing a full exam and so for me it took a while to wrap my head around what was the point mm -hmm. and i mean it, it, it's it's the worst kept secret. You you can essentially have a window right next to your your uh, yeah. recertification and, and Google the shit out of anything. But I think the point is not necessarily to make people prove that they have the skill, but more like use the certification like we talked about it, using it to expose mm -hmm. where you might find holes in your knowledge, especially the. Mm the absolutely newest stuff. So if you get stumped by a question, either you can just go, I'm going to guess and maybe fail it, or you can go, huh, that's interesting. And then down the rabbit hole, you go and actually yeah. study and learn. And I think that is probably for, for the end goal, i.e. giving you more experience and more knowledge. That's the way to go. I, I totally agree with Simon. I, I would prefer to have like, every third year or something like that for a proper recertification. Yeah. Uh, but what do I know? Um, I'm, I'm okay with the way it is, I think. Yeah. I think that would be better for the partner programs as well, like doing proper recertifications every three years. But yeah, we'll see. Interesting idea. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. So I think the point is, 
you can use certifications to really upskill yourself, even though it mm -hmm. doesn't 100% prove that you can do something, but you can still use them to your benefit in a lot of ways. And if you're thinking of taking an exam, just go and do it. Don't get stuck studying. Just do it. Do it now. <laughs> I would like to, to ask our audience or our listeners one thing. If you are a person that actually have received a pay rise from having exams, I would love to know, you don't, you don't have to tell how much or anything, but I would like to know in which markets or segments or areas where exams actually will help you increase your salary. Because I don't know how many that get something like that in Sweden nowadays. I, I know that when, when I started in the IT industry, we had some like one-time bonuses or you got a slight increase on your salary for passing exams. But how does it look around? So if you're a listener to this and would like to share, I actually were able to get a, a new job or an increase in salary by passing exams. Please let us know and, and tell us from where you're listening. So we are, as always, running out of time. And we, we kind of already did. But, but um, I, I would really like for you to speak about what happened, was it two weeks ago? I, I think it's, it's worth taking that extra time. Your UC group. Right. So the, hap the happiest I've seen you on Twitter ever. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I was like, this, "What are this, you talking about?" <laughs> this, this was pretty, pretty much a, a big thing. So, I've been running the Swedish Power BI user group since 2019, and uh, I'll be upfront: I have no idea how to run a user group. I had a lot of preconceptions, mm -hmm. like when is a good time to do a, a, a user group time of day where is a good place, what days, and so on. And, and I, I just went for it. I realized that people don't really talk much. I ask questions, when would be a good time? And it's just going to be crickets, meaning I didn't have any any good idea. So I, I just kept at it. It was difficult. This sounds to like pe Finnish people. <laughs> are you sure your attendees are Swedish? Well, Aren't they supposed to talk are. a little more? Some of them are. Uh, <laughs> most of them are not. So I, I just kept going and it was a slog. So, so difficult. And I didn't really get any response. And then I decided, okay, this, this, either this changes or I hand this to someone else. So I took a six month uh, hiatus where I essentially redesigned the whole thing. I brought in uh, Linda, uh, my, my, uh, my former colleague at the Tolo to help me run the user group. And then we took out everything and, and put it back in again. So we essentially changed the dates, changed the time, changed the format, adding food, adding drinks, all those things that I didn't think uh, mattered. I had 40, 44, no, I had 49 people show up. And That's amazing. everybody was talking, talking to each other. I, I had a hard time getting their attention. And I mean, how awesome is that? People were so engrossed in, in, in conversations between each other. And I saw people move around in the group just to talk to others. That's what a user group is all about. So I, I was over the moon, so, so, so happy. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next um, meetup. I'll, I'll say that. But it is not fun trying to get sponsors. <laughs> And Simon, you're going to 
Glasgow again. Uh, yeah, I'm going to Glasgow. Uh, great to be back at Glasgow Azure User Group again. Uh, I will be speaking about Windows Update Management. I also want to note that I will be uh, talking on Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, about Stand Out from the Crowd by Telling Your Story in a New Way uh, for the Pathfinders Power Platform User Group. So that will be a lot of fun in presentation skills and, and how to... Uh, you remember my uh, unconference from Ignite where we spoke about how your experiences can be adopted to really show how it, it's uh, valued in, in IT. So it, it's a mix of presentation skills and, and storytelling based on your previous experiences. Cool. Really interesting. All right. That's it. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> So I'm so happy that you tuned in to this episode. Again, Simon can't really do this. Without uh, so the script. Without the script, true. But again, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to be back in two weeks. And until then, have a great time. See you then. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Nidibin Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at nidibintech.com. <laughs>